Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden Podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Today, our guest is Lucinda Mays. She is the public horticulturist for Shadron State College, and we are very happy to have her here. Good morning to you both. How are you all today? Good morning. Good. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Lucinda. Glad to have you here. We are going to take a moment for our sponsors, and we'll get right back into our program. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast. Presented by University of Wyoming Extension, extending the land-grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Visit us at wyoextension.org. There, you can find your county office, browse our many programs, and access dozens of free publications on gardening and so much more. All right, everybody, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. As I mentioned, our guest today is Lucinda Mays, and we'll be talking about gardening and growing uh, your landscaping and those sorts of things. So um, let's get into our program. Lucinda, what would you like to talk about today? Well, I just think as I looked around the, the campus this morning, some things are just really thriving and looking green and just like we'd like them to look and other things need a little bit of help. And that's the way it always is in a garden or a landscape. And so when we live in this part of the country, doing those kinds of uh, garden tasks that take care of the garden result in a really strong landscape. And so that's what we were doing this morning. And it wasn't very glamorous either. It was pulling weeds at the base of a tree. <laughs> that's you know, on these on these cool mornings, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to get out and take care of those types of things. I, too, we were harvesting parts of our garden this morning and out pulling weeds and trying to get things taken yeah, care of. It's part of it. My neighbor next door is just now getting interested in putting in landscape plants in their front yard. And so she's thinking about which plants look good in the nursery and what would I like to have and what color. And I think once she's been after it for a while, she's going to start thinking about how can I make the soil better? Mm-hmm. How can I keep the water in the soil and keep my plants from drying out? All of the stuff that comes up. So the practical parts, the not glamorous parts of gardening are to me the most satisfying because I know over time they're going to pay off. Sure. Uh, you know, Diane and I have never... Prior to living where we currently live, we've never lived in a place longer than five years. And so we've been here now 12, 13 years. And so it's yep. it's a whole different level of, instead of just staying in some place short term where you have trees where you that die and you have to take out or you have shrubs that are spreading to places that you don't want them or you have volunteer trees that are growing where you don't want them so it's a lot of it's a lot of things that are like hey i didn't intend for this to look like this so i've got to get after it and do something a little bit different so or or it's time to leave and move on to somewhere else (laughs) but hopefully you don't have that in plan 
the third the third option, Jerry, would be for you to get your rototiller out and just totally nuke everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to move. Well, I tell you what, you got to be careful with those rototillers. Just well, saying. Lucinda, Lucinda, yeah. you got to know. Jerry is a recreational rototiller. He he has events. He he calls his rototilling <laughs> events. So um, he is since he's been on the program with us, he has. I have to say, he's been um, somewhat reformed. So uh, I don't believe he rototills as much as he used to, but he still has some annual things that he thinks he must do. So well, <laughs> we're, let, we're let me on. try and help a little bit with the education of Jerry. So <laughs> you didn't know you were going to get this today, did you? Jerry? Yeah. You know, I think you two collaborated while I was off on the others other area. Oh no, the word rototiller is a trigger word for me. I tend oh. to <laughs> I tend to leap into action. Uh, to me, there's a time and place, I guess, for rototilling. But I would encourage you to think about the biology of the little tiny critters living in your soil, and give them a break. Yeah, they get chopped up good. <laughs> no, I I understand the the microorganism idea about leaving them alone for a little bit, letting them hang out, letting them multiply. I do understand that part. I try to throw some some mulch in to feed them. I have a lawnmower guy that gives me his leaves, and and in the fall when he's starting to clean up, I I really appreciate that. This is my first year of doing that, but of course you kind of kind of rototill them in. Well, right. all, all of those other things were music to my ears because those were all soil building yeah. activities. And that is, I think, what gives us some longevity with our plants. When I, he, I'm here on campus this morning. When I go out my door, the Nebraska State Champion Colorado Blue Spruce and the Nebraska Champion uh, Black Hill Spruce are a couple hundred yards from, from where I'm sitting right now. And the soil around the bases of those plants is just absolutely gorgeous. The trees are growing well. And it's totally different than anything else around that, right? Oh, oh, you know it is. Yeah. But but what I want to say is by that soil being, being grown with mulch added every year, the right amount of water, these trees were planted by somebody, I don't know who the records don't say, in the 1930s. And there they are, great big 80 foot tall, big honking, gorgeous trees. Uh, and they haven't, Jerry, they haven't had a rototiller around them ever. Oh, Just- I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> put a rototiller around a blue spruce, but let me ask you this. Yeah. You know, all of our pH soils around here, eight, two, eight, four, eight, nine. Could you put blue spruce or pine needles on your garden and, and do well? Well, let me answer that completely. So it's going to be kind of a long tail. All of those spruce needles and pine needles, as they break down, have a pH similar to other regular shade tree leaves like oak and elm. Okay. So the pH isn't that different. They're, they're not more acidic, but what they are is longer. They take a lot longer to break down in the soil because of the rosins that are in the leaf. It doesn't hurt anything. It just takes longer. So if you have big clumps of pine needles, that isn't giving you the soil maybe that you want right away. Right, 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 right. But, you know, there's nothing that grows underneath a pine tree unless you put something rather specific under there. Yeah, right? and, that, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's dry shade. 
pine trees have their roots all around underneath them, you know, up in the top root zone. They, they uh -huh. have roots that go out into the top several inches of soil. And then there's shade year-round. So that tree, while it doesn't have an extensive root system, has a root system that takes all the moisture right around it. Yeah. And then it is self-mulching in that it drops its needles right in the place, you know, right in the drip line of the tree, if you will. And because they take longer to break down, then you have mulch and dryness. And sometimes I think people think there's something bad about those needles. There's not. They, they're really a good mulch. They're tricky to get broken down enough to work into the soil. Oh, yeah. I've had people say, oh, yeah, I spent my whole weekend bagging up, raking and bagging up all my pine needles because of fire. You know, it's a fire hazard. That's what that's what they've said. And so I said, okay, so so that's why your back hurts. And they go, yep. <laughs> I've been putting all my pine needles in these bags and raking them up. Well, let Took me tell you about a, a couple of little of boys in our neighborhood. Go to our neighbor's yard. She doesn't want her pine needles in there. So yep. she pays those boys to rake those pine needles and they bag them and they bring them to me and sell them to me. <laughs> so they've got oh, it figured out that's double dipping that's that's good thinking yeah surprising young people yeah but but you're right they're not particularly a fire hazard and what they do is they mulch and conserve the moisture that's in the soil for that tree to have i don't know leave those pine needles in place here on campus in september which is when we usually have needle drop not that we did in 2019 we had our needles drop in October and November. But usually in September, the crew that works with me were running around ahead of the guys on the lawnmowers, raking up those pine needles and bagging them and stashing them so we have them for the flower beds. Oh, oh yeah. 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 They're now, a good, good mulch. In, uh, in Cheyenne, the Urban Forest Division is spraying spruce trees for beetle infestation. Do you see any infestation for beetles on your spruces? I never feel that I am very good at identifying what is going on if I have a problem in my spruce. But frankly, uh, we don't have any problems that we can see. As we, you, you know, here's something people can do. Here's a neat trick. How do I know if my spruce tree is in good shape or not? And of course, there's what we usually see is things that are at eye, eyeball height. We see the needles that have turned purplish that are close to where I'm looking, for example. But that's just one part of understanding the general overall health of that spruce or any other tree. If you can get into the habit of looking up to the canopy of your tree, you'll begin to notice if you have multiple leaders or you'll begin to notice if the canopy is starting to thin out. And why is it thinning out? There's all kinds of of reasons and it helps to have the tree pathology people in your back pocket on your phone and every state has those resources if we just know how to contact them so yeah when i have what i think is a potential problem or a problem with any of my trees i cut up pieces of it box it up and ship it off to north platte which is where the forester that does the plant pathology the problems with trees so that's something any citizen can do. 
I just had a call from an individual yesterday who lives in northern Goshen County um, and apparently his property butts up against Platte County, I think. But he says that where he's at, the pine trees are starting to die and he'd like a little diagnostic help. So I asked him to send pictures. Yep. And that's first step. And then we can go from there. But he says it's more widespread than just his own property. So kind of interesting. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what those pictures are going to show. Well, and then if and, I, and if I need help, I will submit it to someone else. <laughs> well, and that's the thing to do, too, is, is there's certain things I can tell. For example, well, that is drought or right. that's a Scots pine. <laughs> and it's God intended it to die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it don't last very long. There, you know, it's like growing your own fence posts, I think. Well, and I, you know, I recommend that people not plant victims, right? We talk about yes. victim, victim plants all the time. And so it's one of the, one of those things that everything dies. Well, now, I, did, I hadn't heard the phrase victim plants. I like that. Now, I, I think that that should be done for grasshopper kill is grow a uh, hedgerow of weeds or of certain plants that you don't want and spray the crap out of it with grasshopper spray. And so those are victim plants intended <laughs> intended to kill grasshoppers. So they have to come through that barrier first. Sure. Sure. <laughs> when they're young. All, all of my grasshoppers seem to be flooding in. There's no stopping them, it seems. Uh, you're, you're correct. There is no stopping them. You can slow them down, but you can't stop them. At least on an individual level around your own property, it gets very difficult to manage them. And I don't have a big enough property to, to do an airplane drop. <laughs> well, <laughs> You can't dip in and dip out. This is a discussion we have at our house every single day because the grasshoppers are coming for us and they're going to take us and they're going to they're take every raspberry I own. But really, I think my solution to this is to say, this is a grasshopper year. Well, and, and yeah, and I agree. And I think that in, in some instances, there are reasons to spray, particularly if you're trying to protect your garden. But there are places where I'm choosing not to do anything about it. I did plant a new tree row this year, and I'm trying to protect that so that they uh, don't consume all of the trees that I have out there. Is it possible uh, to protect them? To a certain extent. I've applied twice on the tree row and the grasshoppers in that area are not as severe as they are in other areas. So I think I've helped maybe a little bit. Okay. But um, w uh, another thing that the uh, University of Wyoming developed is the um, the acronym is RATS. It's R-A-T-T-S, I think, and, it, and it's promoting not entire broadcasting of insecticide over wide swaths of land. It's applying a strip of so treated area and then skipping a strip, same width of untreated, so right. that at, the grasshoppers are moving back and forth. And eventually, if they get in the treated area, they'll consume or come in contact with the insecticide and, and uh, eventually die. But you're not just broadcast spraying a lot of insecticide out there. So, uh, and that's what I do in my applications. Isn't that kind of like my victim plants? You know, you spray the weed killer or, or not the weed killer, but the insect spray on the, on the victim plants and you don't care about them. Isn't that kind of the same? Technique? Sure. But if, if you let them hang out in the victim plants, 
and not spray, it's probably a little more ecologically sound decision than just going out and spraying. What I think you, I think your quote was spray the crap out of them, Jerry. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I did say, I did say that, didn't I? <clears throat> yeah. I, let me, let me, let me back that off just a little bit, a gallon or so, you know, <laughs> mercy. <laughs> we all we all have our own preferences about how we take care of grasshoppers and you know their life cycle is cyclical after the 2012 drought they totally everybody felt they kind of totally went away well there was still a, a population out there that's been slowly building i think uh, this year next year and maybe three or four years after this we're going to probably have those grasshopper years you talked about lucinda so (laughs) (laughs) it's probably going to be more than one year so uh, brace yourselves okay well it's good to know these are the kinds of questions that we all have if we're out taking care of yards and gardens and landscapes and so there's no perfect answer on the grasshopper there's no perfect answer on on any of these things i guess but there are answers where we're building the living system that is a landscape that is our our environment so if we can keep doing good things in there even during a grasshopper year it ultimately pays off over the long run i think Uh, think yeah and i agree mulch is huge it mulch is fantastic diane and i purchased mulch from a company uh, and it's um it's shredded pine locally sourced shredded pine. Right. And uh, in our environment, you have to have something that doesn't blow away. And okay. uh, this stuff, you can, it you put it down, kind of locks itself in place. Uh, so it's great. So as it breaks down, our, we're building our soil and suppressing the weeds and protecting the non-victim plants. Holding the moisture <laughs> in. Yeah. Adjusting the pH to the betterment of the soil. Yes. All yeah. kinds of good things. The the mulch that we use here on campus is the pine needles, of course, that we scurry around and, and gather. But also, our campus is heated by a wood-fired plant, heating and cooling plant. And so we have 23 buildings, I think, on this big old boiler system. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I don't think... I- I don't think the last time I was there that we went to the uh, boiler system. So, no, I'm not. I don't think I have seen that. Well, it's just absolutely fascinating. The, we have some folks that harvest pine trees as part of a thinning operation. And as they harvest them, they run them through a chipper into the truck. They bring these trucks in. They're usually 20 to 24 cubic yards of pine chips. They put them in the hopper at the heating plant or they put them in a stockpile. And guess who gets into the stockpile for mulch? (laughs) It's limitless mulch. I've never had limitless mulch in my life before. And we mulch till the cows come home because it makes all the difference in the world. Oh, yeah. 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 So in our marriages, our spouses have, we have disagreements with our spouses. My my parents are were constantly discussing the benefits of mulch or not mulching. Well, my dad won, and it was no mulch. So. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but but since he has passed away, my mother has started to mulch a little bit, which has helped her out a lot. <laughs> well, well, it would. You save water and everything that way. From Mother's Day, I got half a truckload. 
So oh, wonderful. Ten, <laughs> nice ten gift. cubic yards of mulch. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> Do a little happy dance where it got oh, dumped out at. <laughs> a gift only a mother could love, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Moms for mulch. I don't know. So, oh, Lucinda, yeah. I, I know the grounds at uh, Shadron State are just absolutely fabulous. And you have some things that grow up there that people don't normally think of the possibility of growing in uh, areas of Wyoming or, or Western Nebraska. Are you interested in sharing some of those things that we, that, that are maybe uh, unique to your area, but would transfer well to other places? Yes. In fact, it's been Wyoming that has, and New Mexico and Idaho and the Western states that have helped me diversify the plantings on campus. What works in eastern Nebraska has very little to do with what works in northwest Nebraska. That is true. (laughs) It is. Two two entirely different environments. Oh, you know, I grew up in Kearney, Nebraska, which is south central Nebraska along the Platte River. So great topsoil, corn growing country. And every now and then you'd hear these tales about western Nebraska wanted to secede to Wyoming. (laughs) I don't think those tales have gone away. I think that still exists. Well, I think my garden is on Wyoming. I know I have a Nebraska zip code, but it's high plains. It's high pH. We call our our parent soil butte rock. It's siltstone. It's it's what everybody has in this neck of the woods. And the plants that, that do well here, I find take a while to establish, but once they get their roots in the ground, boy, they're just wonderful. And some of my all-time favorites are things that come from uh, western parts of the country. Uh, There's at the main gate, I wish I had a picture to show you. We have these big ephedra plants, sometimes called Mormon tea. I I don't know. I don't know that. that? You got to have it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fabric. Ephedra, it's evergreen. It looks like a big bunch grass, but it's not a grass at all. Um, It has yellow flowers, but the reason I grow it is I'm looking for evergreen, something besides pine and juniper to kind of mix it up texturally and to give six months out of the year while we're dormant. Right. I want to have something uh, that looks alive. (laughs) So ephedra is a top-notch, dry, high-plains plant, uh, but takes a couple of years for them to get their roots in the ground. Yeah, and that's so that's what we've found here. You know, we've done a lot of landscaping on this property, and I think three to five years before, mm-hmm. once you put them in, before they go, hey, uh, you know, I, I kind of like this new spot. Yeah. <laughs> and then something happens, right? Yep. Um, yep. So I think people might get frustrated when they first start planting things and go, oh, I don't like that plant. It's not doing what I want it to do. So they maybe take it out or put something new in and or get discouraged altogether. And so it is something that takes patience when you're establishing things like that, that may be pushing the edge or just a little different than what you're used to. Well, if it's a plant that is going to do well, come what may in our part of the world. So taking these wild temperature drops or these seven years of drought or the three years of rain or the wind that doesn't stop, it better have good roots. Right. And it takes a while to develop good roots. So 
It's so, like those it's like those things that live in the inner tidal zone on on the in the ocean. They have to be really tough to live there. <laughs> do we live in an intertidal zone? I have to think about that now. <laughs> that would give me something to think about when I'm weeding. But well, really, we, truly, the trick we used to, to well, we yes. used to live in an intertidal area. <laughs> Long time ago when we were here, right? Time ago. Well, and yeah. And you remember? See my <laughs> well, no, I see my dinosaur right here. <laughs> Keeps you humble, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah. But the, the trick, I think, for people who get discouraged or impatient is to put the plant in the ground, making sure that you've done the soil preparation, because that's critical, that you've got adequate water to get the thing started, because that's critical, that you've mulched it to hold on to that water. Then you need something to take your mind off that plant and go do something else and come back in three years. <laughs> right. <laughs> three years seems to be the magic number. It's That's how long it's taken me. We have a, a cross-country running trail on campus. So what, 10 kilometers, 15 feet wide, buffalo grass. Well, you know, irrigation, no. <laughs> No irrigation, but the sections of trail that we planted first and we went off and paid attention to the other new sections filled in while we weren't looking. Right. So, so if you can distract yourself, right. self-distraction. Self Another really, really, really cool plant is called desert holly. Have you grown that? I have not grown that one either. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's it's had some botanical name changes, but it's a berberus. It's a, it's a native barberry. Berberus fremontii is the blue-gray one, and Berberus hematocarpa is the sage-green one. Takes a while to get oh, the roots in the ground. So it is a barberry, it a, is. a version of barberry. Okay. Yeah, it used to be called Mahonia. It was a, a Mahonia, then they changed it to Berberus. So now it's, but it's sold as desert holly. Okay. Um, takes three years to get its roots in the ground, and... Once it's established, and for me, establishing shrubs and grasses and ornamental plants that are, that are ultimately going to be tough enough not to require extra irrigation, I think they need three years of, of establishment watering. And then after that three-year period of getting fairly regular water during the growing season, then I just leave the drip system in place because that's how we apply water to all of our plantings is blank water line that we punch emitters into and then the water drips out at the emitters. So I leave those emitter systems in place for things like, oh, I don't know, 2012. <laughs> and you can yeah. turn the water on. Oh, crap. We need to turn the water on this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there are, we have landscapes on on campus that are all native plantings uh, and drought resistant. I haven't irrigated since 2006. Wow. That's so, awesome. Now, uh, there, here's, a, here's a caveat. They're right next door to things that do get irrigated. Okay. And water tra travels underground. So who knows what those plants are doing underground? Sure. But what I mean to say is that whole building probably has a half an acre landscape that I don't irrigate. So uh, isn't uh, when we were on campus last time, isn't there uh, a um, artist's rendering of a root plant or, or of the root of or the roots of a plant that's commonly found in the prairie was that a grass that that yeah, was yeah yeah little blue stem okay and it was how many how many feet long was that root system you know i used to have that figure in my head 
But it's multiple stories, right? It's uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The way, where it's depicted, it's like two or three stories long. If you um, Google it, you'll be able to see National yeah. Geographic root systems. If you look at their photo essay that they have of the root systems of our native grasses, it'll blow your mind. <laughs> it's, it's just incredible. But around here, when we have a new construction project in town or on campus, we'll take the students to look at the soil profiles. Oh, yeah. And when they're on the edge of town where it's been all prairie grasses, you can see even with the butte rock or the silt stone uh, that we have, those roots go to China almost, it seems like they really get down into the soil. Yeah, so, pretty amazing. Yeah, they, the piece of art is made all of beads. Oh, that's uh, right. And it hangs in a in a stairwell at the new Rangeland Agriculture Center up at the campus on our east end of Shedron State. And it's thank really you quite for, beautiful. Thank you for reminding me. I Like I say, it's been several years since I've been yeah, here. So. It's time for you to come back. You need to bring another tour group. Yeah, that would be a good time. I remember oh. one group you brought, got it, the wild plums were ripe in one of the plantings. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. We chat about it every time we get together, I think. <laughs> so funny. I thought, oh, my God, they're going to be sleeping or sick all the way home. They and, ate so many plums. And, and now you have volunteer plums growing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, too. Yes, we do. So um, we're uh, we're at a point where we need to take a little bit of a break and listen to our sponsors, and uh, then we'll be back and we will continue our discussion with Lucinda Mays. Hey, Wyoming, have a question? Ask an expert. Go to ask.extension.org. Ask an expert offers a one-to-one expert answer from Cooperative Extension, university staff, and volunteers with participating land-grant institutions from across the United States to give you real-time, real-life answers to your hard questions. If you have a question, just ask. We're here to help. Did you know University of Wyoming Extension offers free online courses? We offer an animal science course for 4-H students, estate planning, and information on taxes and fad diets. If we haven't covered a topic you're interested in, contact your local Extension office for help. Our course list is growing throughout the year. Head to yoextension.org and scroll to the online course catalog. While you're there, check out our Facebook feed or watch our collection of From the Ground Up videos for seasonal gardening tips. Hey everybody, this is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshebeck for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Lucinda Mays. She's the public horticulturist for Shadron State College. And uh, we've been chatting about landscaping and gardening and all types of fun things and encouraging people to go visit campus at Chadron State. It's a it's a really neat place to visit. Lucinda, one of the plants that I am really pleased with that we've incorporated in our gardens or landscaping after after living in the east for a, a while, viburnum. There there's a lot of different types of viburnum. I can't tell you which one it actually is, but we've planted some two years ago, and those plants are almost five feet tall already. So adequate water, doing very well. And I understand that they do very well under aggressive pruning. Is that correct? That you can prune them pretty aggressively and they'll come back? Well, first, Jeff, there's lots of viburnums. I know. I need to be more specific. I apologize. (laughs) 
<laughs> and another thing is every viburnum, and we grow several viburnums here on campus. Every viburnum that I've ever grown did well if it was planted in well-amended soils, good organic soils and adequate water. Yeah. So okay. it's that kind of a thing. Then I would add to that, some of them sucker like crazy. And so if you want a dense thicket of viburnum, the, the nanny berry viburnum, the lentego is my favorite, but it's, it's if you want to grow a screen, that's <laughs> why you might plant that one. It's a spreading then, version. Well, it just, it just runs like there's no tomorrow. It's wow. crazy. Have you ever planted the Korean spice variety? Yeah. Carlesii, I have grown in Georgia. Okay. It says it's okay for our zone. <laughs> um, I do know that it likes a pH of about 5.6 to 5.8. Okay. So, so you're, you're ruling it out pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, I mean, the fragrance is absolutely glorious. Right. I mean, that's why. But you know what has a glorious fragrance is Crandall's Clove Current. Crandall's Clove Current? It's a selection of Ribisorium. It's been around since like the turn of the last century. Okay. But intense. Oh, my goodness. And tough as nails. Does it Uh, spread? Yes. It's not what I'd call an aggressive spreader. But what it'll do is it'll flop a branch down in a root. So... A friend of mine who has is growing this as a hedge keeps it thinned out and, and shaped the way she wants it. Mine, I let them just ramble all over the place. They're one of the first woody plants to bloom in the spring, so they're good for the spring azures and the other pollinators. Okay. So, plus they make nice edible berries. Oh, currants. okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, always, always good to know. I uh, personally, when I'm pruning my shrubs i prefer things that grow up instead of flopping a limb down and and growing uh so if i could keep it trimmed up i think it would probably work out pretty well if it's going to make you crazy why plant it but (laughs) (laughs) but i do absolutely love the fragrance and to me it is not the same as the korean spice viburnum but every bit as fragrant Okay, and so I might be able I might be able to have a or might be able to find a spot in my landscaping where we could put it and just let it do its thing. Give it a little sun. Yeah. Once it gets started, it doesn't need any care to speak of. So okay. So all right, a good thing. So it's another. I suppose if I had to say top ten plants for for where we live for our part of the world in a landscape, if it can do multiple things like have fragrance, be good for pollinators, be early bloom. Provide food. Provide fruit. And it blooms. Here, Jerry, this is a bloom combination. I think Uh, so. I think think all of those bloom combinations are are just fantastic. I like those. Uh, Jerry, you need to to share with Lucinda your indicator plant that we see every year and the story behind that that happened this year. I think that would be a fun story for her to hear. Your forsythia. Your forsythia. Oh, boy. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about the, the things that bloom first thing in the spring. We had a forsythia that we're always looking at uh, because it always was blooming uh, on Main Street in this nice pot. And come to find out, it's plastic. 
<laughs> because Jerry, Jerry was Jerry was doing all of his timing and planting based on the blooming for Scythia that he would see well, on Main Street, and especially the pre-emergence that would come out. You know, if you're spreading pre-emergence, you want a time frame. So when I see this for Cynthia bloom, and I said, "Okay, here we go," and you know, I, I stopped and or I called her and I asked her. I said, "Boy, that is just so pretty. What happened to it?" She says, oh, I just changed it out because, you know, it's no longer spring. Now it's more into the early summer plants. I go, what do you mean change it out? Where'd you put it? Oh, back in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> so she apologized that it was it was plastic, but it was a good one for us. <laughs> it was something something to discuss forever on the Lawn and Garden program. Absolutely. Don't take things at face value. That's for sure. <laughs> But dang, it was a beautiful plant. Oh, I yeah, bet it bloomed. Really pretty. <laughs> well, it just came out blooming. <laughs> one day, one day it was gone. One day it was here, and then next day it was gone. I mean, it it, it went through there's life cycle really quick. Jerry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, if it, she says it's fooled a lot of people, so I wasn't the only one that uh, that was looking at it. It's great that you were timing your pre-emergent off it, though. Absolutely. We're, we're you know, just going It was about the same time where you would put the pre-emergent out. We're going to have to find different indicator plants around town, Jerry. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe but you was, need to plant a current. That'll be about right. A current? Uh-huh. Yeah. Plant a okay. current. Uh, and so you know what blooms with the currents is daffodils. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, daffodils. Okay. Yeah, and it's, you know, daffodils come early, middle, and late season bloom. So which daffodils is another question. But a lot of the miniature daffodils, like jet fire or February gold, bloom at the same time. And, and if they get their heads all covered up with snow, which they inevitably do, it doesn't seem to bother them. They just pop right back up after the snow comes off. Yeah. So, Nice. I love I love those daffodils. Those yep. Mother Day sto- Mother's Day storms that we get, right? <laughs> Always. Seems but like going, we get them a lot. Going back to your shrub idea about planting them and leaving them alone for a while, just forgetting about them. We've done that with uh, black lace, sweet almond, and mock orange. Okay. And our our mock orange must be nine feet high, and <laughs> seven eight feet wide, and it's just almost like one day you look and go, we have a big mock orange. Good for you. You got distracted with some other project, didn't so, you? A lot of other projects. Yeah. Who knew shrubs could grow that big? I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, now there's a fragrant shrub too. I mean, yes. Call it mock orange. I and like him. There's a little dwarf one that they make that doesn't get, oh, the ones that we have here that are about 10 or 12 years old probably don't get more than rib high, four feet at the most. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of nice, too. If you don't have room in your landscape for some of these bigger old shrubs, you can still get those fragrant shrubs. It's called Buckley's Quill. And And it is a miniature mock orange. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And the flowers are bright, bright white. They are the purest white flower I think I've seen on a shrub. They don't have, they don't have, they're just white. And so if... You're planning your garden to enjoy in the evenings or the mornings because you're gone during the day. Planting pale blooming things is a way to get that enjoyment a little bit longer because the pale blossoms reflect the the lower light. They show up more. So if you're sitting out 
in your backyard at eight o'clock at night and you have something that's blooming white, you're going to be way more aware of the blooms than if it were a red blooming shrub because the red just disappears in the dark. But the white still reflects whatever kind of light. Interesting. One of my favorite things is white iris. Yeah. And I love those. And then we plant moonflowers. Yep. And they have a real, real big white trumpet bloom. And a lot of pollinators like to come to it. And it is. It's just by vibrant in the in the moonlight or yep. at dusky time. Yeah. Yes. In your evening garden. Yes. We now, like to it, sit outside and watch the watch the dragonflies come around. And we only have three or four right now, but sometimes we have a lot more. Yeah. We've had lots this year. Is the moonflower that you plant the sh- the bushy form or the vining form? I think we have a little bit of both this year. We didn't ever have the viney form. We just usually had the bush form. And it looks like it's morning glories coming up in our pot. But it, it it's it's actually moonflower. And Myrna says, they came out of that, that package. Maybe the package was misplaced. So I'm glad to hear that there's two styles. Well, they're, and they're two different plants entirely. But the ones that look like morning glories are the vining. Right. Vining kind. Because the moonflower is a kind of morning glory. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's just a night glory, I guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah. Any any time we we see that, and and in a full moon, of course, they just seem to fluoresce. Yep, yeah. they do, don't they? Yeah. So planting a white garden is kind of a cool idea. It doesn't show up much at noon, but boy, at the end of the day or early in the morning, it's prime time in a white garden. Kind of a yeah. neat idea to keep in mind. Interesting. So um, as we're uh, coming to wrap our program up here, I guess, um, or very soon to doing that, Jerry, are there things going on in the community that we need to address or talk about? Well, sure. I need to have that pesto scape recipe one more time because my garlics are now three, four days and they've, they've all seemed to have gone into the scape okay. uh, arena. Okay. So... I think it's 10 to 12 scapes, uh, olive oil, Parmesan cheese. The true recipe calls for pinion pine nuts, but who has those laying around? So we have, uh, we use either um, pecans or walnuts. Walnuts are a good replacement. And Diane usually roasts them a little bit. Roast the walnuts or roast? And we were thinking last night, why not roast the scapes? Uh, You could, but then it wouldn't be pesto anymore <laughs> well if you just if you just kind of put a smoky on them uh, you know put them on the grill and and just kind of smoked them sure try it i guess try it huh yeah um and i think it's salt and the pepper to taste and uh, lemon juice and that's it and it mix it up in a food processor Sounds so tell good. the crowd what escape is escape is the blooming portion of garlic and uh, it it grows straight out normally and then by the time it's ready to harvest it has a full 360 curl in it and for many many years diane and i would go out and clip them off and throw them away had no idea (laughs) that they were edible and we had a student stay with us from new zealand i believe and we were getting ready to clip them again and she goes no wait and she shared this recipe with us but everybody in your household must eat it (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because if, if, if you're the only one, 
you will be banished. <laughs> and fairly so. And fairly so. <laughs> so well, I'm gonna I try that recipe. I have a tartar sauce recipe for you. Okay. So it's dill pickle relish, red onion, and some mayo. And that's three ingredients. So 15 ounces of relish, 15 ounces of mayo, and two medium red onions chopped. So, yeah. You know, we're talking about food, food that we like to eat, hot dogs. You asked me last time if there was one thing that I did not like. And hot dogs is probably it. And Coney Island, 4th of July, the winner, 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Is that the Nathan's... uh... Nathan's hot dog eating contest that yep. they have every year. Yep. Yeah. I just can't fathom that. Uh, nor would I want to. <laughs> so uh, our farmer's market is, is up and running. And it's moved downtown. Is that correct? Moved downtown. I, I drove past and there were, there were, there were some vendors there. And so, you know, you're wanting fresh vegetables. That That's a good place to get them. And it's Thursday um, night. Thursday night. Four to six, I believe. Four to, four to six. Okay. Four to six. And so just my, my last thing is I planted a red wing maple for our, my wife's and I anniversary. So we did not use the rototiller to dig the hole. We dug it really big, the hole to accommodate the tree. So uh, proud of you, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> right? So that's, 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 that's good. That's a good thing. Oh, honestly, I don't rototill it much uh, anymore. I, you know, if there might be three or four events. We've, at, we've, we've kind of shamed him into calming down a little bit on the rototilling, Lucinda. So, it's uh, nothing like public shaming. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I used to have my rows of my garden wide enough that I could put my rototiller down the, you know, the rows. So I didn't like to weed, but I did like to rototill. And so I've stopped that. And, you know, it, after chewing up your water system three or four times and <laughs> <laughs> finding it was more trouble than it's worth, you know, perhaps I am so happy to have given you some uh, laughter and enjoyment on today's show. Well, I'm very pleased to hear about all of your techniques of using artificial forsythia to time your, <laughs> yeah. to time your pre-emergence and rototilling. It is a learning process, isn't it? Absolutely. You're, you're more than well, you're more than welcome to share that story with anybody you like, Lucinda. Okay. Well, you know, as you say, it, it's already been out in the public. So, oh, Lucinda, let <laughs> yes, me just sir. tell you one more story. Okay. And it and it has to do with that rototiller. When we when my wife and I got married, my friend said you need to buy her a set of pearls, and I and she says, you know, I'm not really a pearl girl. Let's buy a tiller. <laughs> And I knew she was a keeper right then and there. Yeah. So I think so. It, it's kind of our anniversary present and it's still running. And what which anniversary are you celebrating? 28th. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much. That's awesome. It is awesome. So, you know, Lucinda, it's been a pleasure having you on the program today. We were very happy to have you with us. These conversations are marvelous. I always learn something new, recipes and As, and as do we. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're always learning things as well. So I think it's probably time to wrap up. Jerry, thank you again for being our host today. And again, Lucinda, thank you for uh, being our guest. And uh, that's it. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening. Catch next week's episode Tuesday at noon on Spotify. 
Episodes from previous seasons are now available in the archive. 